Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Just a little final straightening out things. I just noticed that that was just a little bit too low for my liking, so I wanted to bring that. And it's still not right. Okay. Trying to get a get a better angle on this so we can at least, uh, let's see if this is better. No. As usual, um, technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. There we go. We're getting better. We're getting better. Oh, no. Oh, I ended the live video. Okay, let's try it again. Let's try it again. I did that to myself. I have everything all set up, and then I mess up with my go live. I'm just going to because I'm trying to set this thing where it looks at me a little bit better. And I thought I had a good angle, and then I looked at it, and I don't like the angle. And so, of course, now i got to fix this. Let's keep going. There we go. There we go. Now, okay, let's, uh, let's get in here and get to work. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. This is Pastor Winfred Burns, and you are live with the word on Wednesday. We're going to have a brief word of prayer, and then we're going to get right down to uh, Acts chapter 15, and I think this is an exciting, exciting chapter. It is very, very important for our understanding because in it we're going to answer a question that many um, many people struggle with, and that is, what must I do to be saved? What are the requirements? Of salvation. So that's that's the main question we're going to ask answer tonight. Uh, without further ado, let's have a let's have a word of prayer and we'll move from there. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. God, how we bless you and how we praise you and how we magnify your name, for you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Father, tonight we ask that you would be our teacher, be our preacher, lead and guide us into your word. Father, speak to our hearts collectively as well as individually as we study your word. We want to know what you want us to do. We want to know how we can be pleasing in your sight. We want to be tuned in as to how you want to advance your kingdom in our lives and in this earth realm. So we bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, remember last week we we finished the we finished the mission the Paul's first missionary journey. They came back to to Antioch. Or excuse me, not Antioch. They came back to um yeah, Antioch. And they began to they they reported back all the things that they that had happened to them, the blessings that they received, and so that's where we're picking up tonight uh, at Acts chapter 15. 
And I'm going to read, and then we're going to go right into it. Acts chapter 15 says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with him, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And that's Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. So the situation is, is that while in Antioch teaching and preaching and bringing people to Christ, some people come up from Judea, from the southern part of, the, uh, of Israel, and they come up and they begin to say, wait a second, what you're doing does not get them entrance into the kingdom. So, and the, the key question is, they, say, they, they basically say in verse um, 1, they say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And they further, when they get down there, they say, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So they start with circumcision, and then they further flesh out and say, look, they also have to keep the law of Moses to receive the same promises that we have. First thing I want to do is I want to look at this thing called circumcision. Circumcision comes about in Genesis. And basically, circumcision is the sign that God gave to Abram, and it is a sign of a covenant relationship with God. It is the sign of being in a covenant relationship that makes you eligible to receive the promises that God gave through Abraham. Where do I get that from? Okay, let's look at Genesis chapter 17, and later on, you can also look at Genesis chapter 13, but what it's going to it's going to give you a pretty good explanation if you just look at Genesis 17. Turn with me over there real quick. Genesis chapter 17. And we're going to look at verse 9. And I'm going to encourage you after we get off, because, again, I try to keep this to 30 minutes, so there's pieces in there that I'm not going to go into. But start reading at, at um, uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, so you can get a, the, the, the whole picture. I'm just going to lift out just a little portion of it, and I'll start reading at verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, 
you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then it goes on to say when you, when, when you should circumcise them, etc. But the circumcision is a sign of the covenant that is between God and Abraham. And here's the covenant. Here's, I, I might as well, I've I got to go back up because I want you to understand that God is making this promise to Abraham, and the promise extends to all who are descendants of Abraham. Okay? He says, uh, I got to go up to the well, one. I'm sorry. When Abram, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So Abraham is the father of nations. That's one part of the covenant. The other part is he is to inherit a land. Okay? So this is and, and it's a perpetual promise. Kings and princes are, are going to come from Abraham. And this, this, this royal people is going to be born through Abraham. And so this is the promise. This is the covenant. And later on what we find is that God gives them some laws more than circumcision, and that's the second thing, the laws of, of Moses. And the laws of Moses were indicative of a people of covenant. So this is what they're saying here. And they're saying, look, everything that God said do, if they are to be truly the people of God, then they have to go through all of the rituals and obey all of the laws that we received through Abraham and Moses. That's the argument, right, that they're making. So go to verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, and let me, let me stop there, let me stop there. Before, before I, I need to go back into that first, uh, that first paragraph. I want you to look and say, uh, verse 2, verse 2 real quick. It says, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and a debate with them, okay, that part, what was Paul's argument? 
how was Paul defending his preaching and the things that God had told him to do by going to the Gentiles? What was, what was Paul saying? We get a glimpse of it in Romans chapter 3 and, and, and Galatians chapter 2. Let's turn over real quick. Um, I think I want to use Romans 3. Uh, Galatians 2, yeah, i got to really work on that. But Romans 3 says it real quickly. Uh, Romans 3, chapter, uh, verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith, faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what we see here is Paul setting forth the doctrine that we are not saved by obeying the law, but we are saved by belief in Jesus Christ. So the law cannot save you, and he's going to spend, he spends a lot of time writing about the law in Romans, in Galatians, in Ephesians also. He explains this justification by faith, and what justification means, <coughs> excuse me, you know how when you uh, line something up, you call it justifying, so if you want all of the writing to start in a line on or the the left side of the paper you you set your you set your margins to justify it and make it straight well that's what justification is making things right with God because if you notice it says that he sets forth Jesus as a propitiation and a propitiation propitiation just means an offering that satisfies so Jesus becomes the offering that satisfies God for the sins of mankind. That's what that passage means, that Jesus has satisfied God. He has paid for the sins of mankind. And this is the argument that Paul is advancing to, uh, to the, to the uh, Judaizers who come up to Antioch and begin to contest the salvation of those who, he had, who have accepted Jesus Christ by faith and have not gone through the ritual that the Jews would to become a Jewish proselyte. Okay? So let's go back to Acts now. So he, 
and and this is important for another reason. And I got I'm 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 speaking just a little bit. It's important for another reason because if they they the Jews believe that there can be no equality with the Gentiles, that the Gentiles can never reach equality with them simply because they are unclean. They are considered, the Gentiles are being considered unclean by the Jews. And so unless you go through all of the rituals, then you want me, a practicing Jew, to have fellowship with you, a sinning Gentile. That's not going to happen. You got to go through the steps. Secondly, what he's also saying is that not only that, but we can't have fellowship with one another because you're not abiding by the dietary laws of Moses. So you might be eating some bad. You might be eating some bad meat. You might, matter of fact, let me just say it my way. You might be serving barbecue, and I'm not eating no pork. So you have to. Obey the rules, all of the rules of Moses, and that's where the clash is coming in. And so it says, so basically, what they're saying, they can't be saved unless they do it the way God has done it. But in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah forty-three. It says, "Behold, I am doing a new thing." And what they, and what Paul and um, and the and the uh, apostles need to show them is that, yeah, that's the way God did it in the past. And when you study Paul's argument about the law, he's basically going to say, yeah, you tried to do that before and it didn't work because you couldn't keep the law because you didn't understand the purpose of the law. The law is here to show you your need for Jesus Christ. The law is here to show you what God expects of us, but Sin is always going to hijack you, and he's going to cause you to uh, break the law. And if you break the law at one point, you've broken it all. So that's the argument that Paul is going to develop and advance in his letter to the Romans, in his letter to Galatians, in his letter to Ephesians. He is going to argue that, it is, that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so let me keep moving. Acts 15, and I am moving along all right, because I didn't plan to finish this chapter. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now... Therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So here you have Peter standing up and he's telling God by my mouth. 
sent me to the Gentiles. Remember when we remember the story of uh, Peter? Don't call anything unclean that I have called clean. And remember how we said that God redefines what is clean and unclean. What is clean is that which responds affirmatively to the word of God. When we, by faith, respond to the word of God and and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we are declared clean. We are, and what is clean? What are we talking about? Clean and unclean. Clean can come into the presence of God. Clean can have fellowship with God. It is that unclean that is not to come into the presence of God, that still requires a sacrifice, an offering. But we have the sacrifice of Jesus, and because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we have asked him to be our Savior, we've recognized him as being the propitiation, the, that offering that satisfies God, we have been declared clean. Remember that teaching from several weeks ago? Well, that's what that is. Now, so Peter basically recounts that I've had this experience with God. He told me not to call anything unclean that I've called clean. And when I ministered the word of God to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house, I witnessed the Holy Spirit fall on them just as he fell on us at Pentecost. That's his witness there. And then let's keep going because I'm, I'm making good time now. And that we believe that through the grace of the Lord, that they will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So based on what I know, based on what I've seen, we all get saved the same way. It's not through the keeping of the law, but instead it's faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 12, and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So next up on the, on the witness stand is Barnabas and Paul, and they recount their experiences in ministering to Gentiles on their first missionary journey. They also recount all the signs and wonders. A couple of chapters back, we talked about uh, what happened to Elimas when he opposed the word. They might have talked about that. Or what happened to the, the, the man who was crippled in his feet and how he rose up and walked. And so all of those things are being shared in this council uh, a meeting. Now, let's go to verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David, that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek 
the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Now, that's a quotation from Amos chapter 9 and also Isaiah chapter 43. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every, every Sabbath in the synagogues. So James sums it all up by saying what they are saying lines up with the scripture. That not all, the prophets have testified to this phenomenon that you see before you, that the Gentiles will be welcomed into the family of God, and that, that we have seen evidence of the Gentiles being welcomed into the family of God, and it's not the sign of circumcision, but it is the stamp of the Holy Spirit that is now indwelling and filling these Gentiles, and they have had the experience that we have had to receive, in receiving the Lord as our personal Savior. Excuse me. There we go. I forgot to turn this phone off. But anyway, so this is what's happening. The, and, and James makes a determination amongst, for the Christians, mind you, and the Christian Jews, that this is what we'll say to them because we should not burden them with the law. Paul will later say, wait a minute, he, 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 had, this, he had this conversation with Peter when they were at Antioch and and I don't know if this happens before or after this. Uh, I think it happens before this. Peter comes up to Antioch, and while he's at Antioch, um, Peter has been associating with, with the Gentiles and eating with them. But then there comes a time when the, when the Jews come up, from brother, uh, fellow Christian Jews come up, and Peter separates himself. And Paul questions him and says, how can you, Peter, who live as a Jew, force the Gentiles to try to live as a Jew, and you're not doing, you're not even being a good Jew, because look what you did over here, and so you're being duplicitous in your behavior, and so he confronts him with that, and so now they said, now, now the question is answered, and in answering the question, they send a letter back, and here's the letter. Verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letters, the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, 
having come to one to one accord to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved brother with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to whom they had been sent. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. The net effect is they sent a letter to the church at Antioch to confirm what was being taught to them by Paul and by Barnabas, that they, the only thing that they wanted them to do was abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, uh, from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Those were the only other, those are the only things. And those things that they talk about, that they ask them to abstain from, sexual immorality, those were things that would hurt them personally. From blood sacrifice to idols, those things would keep them from being drawn back into idolatry. Those are the two things that they were basically saying, don't go back into idolatry and don't mess yourself up by practicing the sexually immoral behavior. Now, I know I'm running out of time, so I want to ask you a question. So, what are the requirements for salvation? According to the Word of God, it is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what we have done at our t in our time is through doctrine and denomination, we have taken what God has said and we have placed additional burdens on the backs of those who would come to God by saying that, um, that there is a way that you have to come, that there is a time that you have to come, that there should be certain things that spring forth from your life to prove to us that you have been saved. All of those things are wrong. And I want you to know something. I don't pick on any denomination. I refuse to do that. Even though I have my disagreements with certain denominations, I don't, I don't, I don't single anybody out. I'm basically saying that the requirement for salvation is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Now, 
So you'll say, well, what about the Holy Spirit? What about the Holy Spirit falling down on them? The Holy Spirit is given to those who believe. And what you're looking for, what what some people look for, is the demonstration of the Holy Spirit through a manifestation of some gift. And they look for that immediately before they could they can declare that someone is saved. Well I want to tell you something. No one can tell who is saved or who is not saved. Because you don't have a heaven or hell for them. You don't have control over God, whom God has called. He's saved. When you respond affirmatively to the call of God, you are saved. So what about the, what about the, the Holy Spirit? You can tell over time, and I mean over a long period of time, you'll see the the work of the Holy Spirit in their life by the fruits that come forth from them. It's not the the gifts, because the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit can be manifested by the devil. He will give, the devil will come up with a counterfeit gift. So, we don't we are not able to discern those things that God didn't call us to be anybody's fruit inspector. But we need to stop that. That divides the church because we've got this group over here saying this and we've got that group over there saying that. That's division. No way. Mm-mm. The requirement for salvation is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Son of God and accepting him as your Lord and Savior. And then the process of transformation, the process of being made holy, is the work of God within the believer. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. So that's what I want to teach tonight. And I pray that you would go back, look at the look at the chapters that I that I recommend that you look at. Look at um, uh, Genesis 13, Genesis 17. Take a look at Galatians chapter two. Take a look at Romans chapter three, and see how Paul develops the argument for justification by faith. Because everything that we do is by faith and by faith alone. For the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God because he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen? Well, that's it for tonight. I ran a little bit long. Probably looked like about five minutes long. Um, But I wanted to to get through that portion of Acts chapter 15. And uh, I praise God for you tonight. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll shut it down. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We bless you and we praise you. We thank you that you make it so easy for us. We confess, O oh Father, that sometimes we act just like the, the Jews. We want it done our way. We want it done according to the experiences that we've had with you when you simply say, 
By faith we are saved through your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We ask, O oh Father, that you allow us to go with the message and let him go in with the message that you would empower, that you would prick the hearts of those who would hear this message and that they would come and that they would be saved, that we could help you advance the kingdom of God as your servants, and that not only would we help you bring them in, but that we, we would be welcoming that we would be there to to be disciple that to help disciple them and that you would grow us as disciples of you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well that's what I have for you tonight. Thank you all for, for joining with us tonight. Next week we'll finish up uh, Acts chapter fifteen and dive deep into Acts chapter sixteen. We're moving right along. We're making great progress. We bless God for you. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Bless you all. Amen.